0: All right, very good. Take your Bible, please, if you've got your Bible with you this morning. Uh, we're in the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We've got the verse sheet there in your program, and uh, we'll put the verses up on the screen as well. I've got my Bible right here. Uh, we're going through a series, like I said, through the book of Acts. We're, <clears throat> we're going verse by verse. If, if you want to go onto our podcast online, you could listen to the entire series, and Literally have a verse-by-verse study through an entire book of the Bible, uh, the book of Acts, and uh, keep those uh, study sheets there with you. and And uh, uh, this would be just a really good in-depth study, and hopefully very practical as well. Uh, I think this is just uh, it's just a lot of practical stuff. Like I've been talking about the last couple of weeks. You know, remember this? This is a history of the first church. Okay, so the book of Acts is inspired, uh, God inspired, uh, Holy Spirit breathed history of the first church so within these stories of what's happening there's a lot of practical application for life there's a lot of stuff that you and i can glean from and say oh man this is something we ought to be doing or something we ought to be working at or maybe not but uh, we're in the book of acts like i said we've been going through around chapter 13 and chapter 14 uh, today <coughs> excuse me we're going to pick up in chapter 13 and try to finish that off um, let's uh let's just do a real quick review though all right just kind of bringing you up to date in case maybe you're a guest with us today or, or you missed the last couple of weeks. The, the main character here in the story of Acts right now is this guy named Paul, okay? It was a guy named Peter and now we're kind of focusing on this guy named Paul and he's not in Jerusalem. We always think sometimes that the first church was, you know, really popular in Jerusalem but they're not. They're a few hundred miles north of Jerusalem in Syria actually in the town of Antioch and And where this story takes place, they actually left that Antioch. They're actually in a different town called Antioch. And and, uh, this guy Paul uh, is with this guy Barnabas, okay? They're on a missionary trip. The church has sent them out. Now, you have to remember this, you have to remember this to get this into context. Remember this. This is the beginning of the church, Okay? The, the people, the characters in the story, what, what's taking place, they don't know church like, like we know church, okay? We're living in the year you know, 2019. We can look back over our, our, our shoulder. We, we can look at this book and we understand what the church is supposed to look like and what it's supposed to do and not supposed to do, all right? But, but, but those people didn't have that because it's just starting. Now, remember this too. You've got to remember this, but in context. They only had this half of the Bible. This half of the Bible had not been written yet. Okay? So, so the stuff that you and I take for granted, well, why didn't they know? Well, why this just doesn't make sense. Well, of course it makes sense to us because we've got all this. They only had that. Okay? It was still being written at the time. Okay? So, so just kind of remember that, and put it in context, and remember this, that, that the, uh, the Jewish people, the Jewish people, God was exclusively really kind of working through the Jewish people. The Jewish people had denied the Savior, right? We know that, right? Jesus, they hung him on a cross. So, so what in essence took place, and you have to remember this, is that Jesus, uh, uh, when he had went back to heaven, uh, he left the this Holy Spirit with us and he said, okay, listen, push the pause button on the Jewish people. I, I'm going to come back to you guys later. But right now, hit the play button on what's called the local church. So... God is now working through the church all across the world, which is Jew, Gentile, red, yellow, black, and white. We're all precious in His sight. Okay, We're all part of the local church. Okay, People that are believers are part of the local church. God will continue to fulfill His promise with the Jewish people. Someday He'll take the pause button off. We know that's after the rapture of the church when the church is gone. But right now, He's working through the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember this. Ready? Remember this. The people at the story, the time of the story that, that we're talking about, didn't quite get that yet, okay? The Jewish people still thought, God's work of the Ross. I mean, right? We're God's gift, right? The humankind, I mean, we're the ones. And, and this guy Paul's saying, well, <clears throat> yeah, you are, but right now, <clears throat> he's not working with you. He hit the play button on this new thing called the church, and, and guess what? The Gentiles and the Greeks and everybody else they can all sit at the same table, okay, and we can all be part of church together, and, and you don't have like an in on this, okay? So just kind of remember that when you look at that in context, just so you really, really kind of get what's happening here. And last week, we saw that, that Paul was in a synagogue, still talking to the Jewish people, right? And they say, hey, you're visitors. Why don't you stand up and tell us something? So Paul says, okay, I'll tell you something. And Paul stands up in a Jewish synagogue and he, he gives them the gospel, crystal clear. Now you remember this too. You gotta get this to get what we're gonna talk about today. Paul said very clearly that the only condition for salvation was belief, Okay. It is not keeping the law, it is not joining a church, it is not getting baptized, it's not taking Holy Communion, it's not quitting your drugs, it's not quitting your smoking, it's not quitting all your bad things that you may do. He says, "Nope. I just want to make it crystal clear, because nothing's changed here, that it has always been, and it is still today, belief only. Belief that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid your sin debt on the cross of Calvary, three days later he rose again, showing that death had been conquered, lives in heaven right now, But the fact that you believe that Jesus Christ paid for it, that alone, your belief in that is what saves you. Not your knowledge of it, but your belief, your acceptance of it. That yes, Jesus Christ died for me. All right? Whew! That was a quick review. Here we go. Now, uh, Acts chapter 13, and and let me just say this, what we're going to touch on today, starting with verse 38. Go down to verse 38. We'll pick up here. Uh, what we're going to talk about today, one of the verses, one of the verses that we're going to cover today, a couple of them actually, but mainly one, is a verse that is is, we'll look at it just a little bit, is a verse that is extremely, extremely incorrectly, I don't know if that's set the right, is used a lot incorrectly by people that are Calvinist in their belief, Okay. So I say, Pastor, what's a Calvinist? Well, let me just explain it. I have good friends that are Calvinists. I'm not against them as people. I don't agree with their theology. So here's what it is. About 500 years ago, a guy named John Calvin, about 24, 25 years old, wrote a a commentary on the Bible, the Institutes of Christianity, about 1,500 pages long. He came out of the Catholic Church, and he wrote his take on Christianity. It's 500 years ago. An awful lot of people today have adopted the writings of John Calvin and taken them as part of their doctrinal beliefs, okay? Um, John Calvin was just a man. He was not a prophet from God. There was nothing special. He was a human being just like me and you, a very young person to write that many pages of a, a writing, okay? In all my years in ministry, been in ministry about 32 years, I have known two people, two people, two people that have actually read all 1,500 pages of John Calvin's writings. <laughs> Most people have never really read all of his writings. I actually kind of want to read them, to be honest with you. But, but, but John Calvin uh, took some, some beliefs and, and really kind of uh, changed the heartbeat of God as far as, as who could be saved, who couldn't be saved, and, and, and really kind of put his own twist on things. What he did was this he took verses, and one of the verses we're going to look at today, he did this. There's a verse and he made a doctrine on that verse, okay? Church, you cannot make a doctrine of salvation on one verse in the Bible. You need to look at things in context. That's why it's written as a book, all right? There's 66 books here all put together, right, for us to read. And so you can't just take one thing and say, well, here's something new. You know, you can't do that. And and, and John Calvin did that an awful lot. Another name for it today is Reformed Theology. Reformed Theology. You may see some churches that are you know, Reformed Baptist Church, Reformed Bible Church. Uh, Not a lot of people brag about being a Calvinist, although they are Calvinists. You know, here's what I would say. If you're curious, okay, if you go to a church and you're curious, does my pastor fully believe this book as it stands alone? Or does my pastor believe that there's this book plus the writings of John Calvin? Okay, this is a very serious question to ask. If you're about that, here's what I would do. I would go to your pastor, and I would just ask him to his face, point blank. Are you Reformed, or are you a Calvinist? Just ask him. It's no big deal, right? We live in America. You can ask a question. If your pastor hesitates at all, well, um, it's like this. My studies in the Bible... Okay, here's what I'd do. If he starts off like that, I'd walk out the back door and leave. <laughs> All right, okay? If he's got a him and haw on his answer, then, then he's not taking the Bible alone. He's taking the Bible plus the teachings of a human being named John Calvin, okay? So if he's got a him and haw. Now, on the other hand, if you were to ask me, <laughs> so, Pastor, you know, are you a Calvinist or are you reformed in any way? My answer, clearly without hesitation, is no, absolutely not. We do not name our theology after a human being. Amen. Amen. We do not name the gospel uh, presentation after human theology. Amen. No. We take this book as it stands alone. All right? Okay. A, if someone has to hesitate on that answer, I, I just don't want to be part of it because this is the, ready? This is the only book that God wrote. Okay? How about a little bit more, church? Amen. All right, it's the only book that God wrote. All right. Come on, help me out. The more you amen, the sooner we'll be done. <laughs> all right, and all that God's children said, amen. <laughs> but first, we have to go into Acts chapter 13. Here we go, Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, he's talking to these Jewish people, that though this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, talking, of course, about Jesus, we picked that up last week, from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. So, so there is no justification by, by the Ten Commandments. Okay, verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers and wonders and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though man declare it unto you. So he's saying, listen, I, I'm telling you this. We've told you this. You, you, since the time of the prophets, since the time of Adam and Eve, We told you there was a Messiah coming, okay? From the very beginning of the book of Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, you knew that a Messiah was coming and you missed him, okay? About about 10, 15 years ago, as the story is right now, you hung this guy on the cross. That's how long it's been since Jesus died on the cross, okay? You hung him, you missed it, okay? You guys blew this. Okay, just because it just because from the book of Genesis to the time that Jesus came on the cross, you know, took a couple thousand years doesn't mean that God lied on his promises. No, the Redeemer was coming. It just you just didn't know when and he came and guess what? He came and you missed him. You you, you passed by it and, and, and you 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 purposely chose not to believe that he was the Messiah, okay? Verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, so church is over and they leave, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So the Jews leave church, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, okay, anyone who wasn't a Jew, comes up to Paul and says, hey, Paul, this is great stuff. Let's do it again next week. Okay. (laughs) Do you think this is going to go over very well in a Jewish synagogue? Not going to happen. (laughs) And look at verse 43. Now when the congregation was broken up, Many of the Jews and religious proselytites followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, so a week comes by, next Sabbath day came, almost, now get this, the whole city together to hear the word of God. So Paul and Barnabas preach, you know, on this weekend, and next weekend the whole city comes together to hear the preaching. No advertising, no flyers, no Facebook ads, no posters, no banners hanging out in front of the church. It's just the whole city shows up. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> now, now, just imagine that, verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know what's going to happen, right? Everybody know what's going to happen? Oh yeah, we don't like this. They were filled with envy and spank against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So the Jews are in the back of the church and they're going, well, that's wrong, that's wrong. Right. Paul's saying this, I don't agree with that. No, the Torah, no, no, that's not right, no. And can you believe these guys? And they're totally ridiculing and blaspheming everything that Paul and Barnabas are saying. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold, or the word wax means like became. So then Paul and Barnabas became bold. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. Now get this, church, get this. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy. Can you take a pen and underline those three words? Very important because we're going to look at those in a second. And judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So you Jewish people are judging yourselves unworthy. What, What does it mean by unworthy? It's meaning that you through unbelief and reject that you judged yourself not wanting to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Does everyone see here what it says there. I just want to be really clear before we get into the next verse. Who judged them unworthy? Did God judge them unworthy or did they judge themselves unworthy? Right? So, so you understand what they're saying? Paul's saying, listen, you Jewish people, you denied what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You don't believe it. Therefore, you, you've, just, you've just considered, you've just judged yourself unworthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does it say here in this verse, now church, get it, does it say that God judged them unworthy? Does it say that? It does not say that God judged them unworthy. Now remember that. Remember even back in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, it had said this, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. It doesn't say God resisted it for you. It says who made the choice? You did, okay? Don't forget this, church. Don't forget who's making the choice here to reject Jesus. All right? Go on down. Verse 47. For such, I'm sorry, for so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldst be for salvation at the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Now look at this. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believes. All right. Now, we're going to pause on this just for a second because we need to dig into this. We need to understand this. A lot of times a Calvinist, someone who believes in Calvin teaching, John teaching with John Calvin, take this one verse. Now, church, just, just get this and we'll get out of here. Take this one verse and they say, see, look at God picks who God saves. God picks choose certain people to go to heaven. God picks... Certain people to have eternal life. The other side of that, a Calvinist says, God then therefore picks certain people to go to hell. Okay, well, <laughs> go into the nursery this morning and see all the cute little babies, probably about 10 or 15 babies in our nursery, and you sit by and you look and say, Well, going to heaven, going to hell, going to hell, <laughs> you're going to hell. <laughs> going to heaven, okay, that would be disgusting, would it not? to go into a nursery and pick who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. Okay, a Calvinist says that's basically what God does, is is God picks and chooses heaven, 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 hell, 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 hell. Heaven, 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 hell, 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 okay? That changes the whole heart, the character of God. And a Calvinist or someone who reformed theology will take this verse and abuse this verse and say, see, look, and as many were ordained to to eternal life, believe. See, look at that. that. The word ordained there means determined. So, and as many as were determined to eternal life, believe. See that? Now, if you look up this verse in a lot of commentaries, I'll just tell you, I'm going to save you his time right now. An awful lot of commentaries skip this verse. Why? Because it's too controversial, <laughs> and it doesn't sell commentaries. Uh, but we're not going to skip it today. We're going to land on this verse, and we're going to dig into it, and we're going to actually see what it says, and we're going, to, we're going to really slow down and see what this is. Now, the answer to this verse is simply in the context. Let's look back at verse 46. Look in your Bible back at verse 46. Do you remember that I just told you that the Jews had heard the same story and what did Paul say? They were what? Judging themselves unworthy. Not God judged them, but they judged themselves unworthy. The key here, church, to understanding this passage is to understand the fact that God... Now listen to me very carefully so you understand exactly what I'm saying. To understand that God has foreknowledge. God knows everything. Do you understand? Do you get that? Maybe we, well, we kind of hard really don't get that. But God has foreknowledge, and that means that God knows everything, okay? God knows that if I were to take a left or a right step right now on the stage, God knows exactly what I'm going to do. You don't know. I don't know. But God knew before the foundation of the earth that I'm going to step to the left. He knows that. But church, understand this, understand this, understand this. Just because God knows something in his sovereignty doesn't mean that God causes something. There's a huge difference. A Calvinist will say, well, God foreknows it. That means he forecaused it. It does not mean that at all. God did not sit here and push me, hey, go to the left, you know. He may have known what I'm going to do, But God gives me a free will to do it. But somehow in God and his almighty omnipotent and omniscience, he knows every possibility of every possible decision we could ever possibly make. But God doesn't cause us to make decisions. All right. So if we understand that and we can grasp our mind around that, God knows who will believe. He knows that. But God does not cause anybody to believe. It's your free will, it's your free choice. We just saw that two times in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter seven here in Acts chapter 13, that Paul made it very clear that God did not choose this. You chose to reject Jesus as your savior. OK? The choice is yours to make. But God, just because God knows it doesn't mean that He's appointed it to happen. And this verse, now look back at this verse. Let's go back to this verse and let's look at it because I want you to get this, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Ready? Let's read it. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. It does not say, it does not say anything different than that. It does not say as many as God made believe had eternal life. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. They were going to believe. God knew that they are going to believe. God determined. Now, th- here it is. I'm going to answer it right here. God determined that all people that believe have eternal life. That's what he determined. Anybody can believe. But God determined before the foundation of the earth, before anything, that, anything, anything was formed in Genesis 1-1, God determined that anyone that believes will have eternal life. That's the plan. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you have eternal life. That's the plan. That's what God determined. God did not determine who will believe. God knew it, but he didn't determine it. But anybody who believes, the result is going to be eternal life, okay? Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this for you from a Greek New Testament. Actually, the Greek words, okay? Okay? Uh, uh, and I, I want to show you something here that I think is very interesting as we look at it in the, uh, in the, in the, in the text of how it's written. I'm going to read it, and you're going to see how, how the wording, you know, just kind of like if someone speaks Spanish, you know, the wording's different than what you speak in English, okay? So this was written here. This is in Greek. Of course, we speak English. I'm just going to, I'll read it here in English for you because <laughs> you don't want to hear me read Greek. But anyways, you follow along, you listen, you listen, and I'm going to read... Word for word how it's written in the Greek, okay? You follow along and I'll read it. See how how it reads differently. When the Gentiles, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and believed as many were ordained to a life eternal. So what did they do? They believed. What was determined for them? Eternal life. See how that makes sense? Did God pick them to believe? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says they chose to believe, as many that believed. But it was determined for them, those that believe, they have eternal life. Here's an illustration I want you to get this. Pretend today, pretend today that it was raining outside. Now, when I looked at the forecast this week, I thought it was supposed to rain this morning. So I thought this is going to be a great, forecast, uh, a great illustration because it's going to be raining outside. And, of course, it's perfectly sunny outside. So my illustration is going to fall apart. That's <laughs> the way it goes. Forget the weather forecast, right? Pretend it's raining outside. Pretend church is over and you're heading. You're, you're getting out to the lobby and you are going to go to your car, but it's raining outside, okay? Where are you going? You're going to your what? Your car. What's it doing outside? It's what? It's raining outside, okay? You're going to your car and it's raining. If I were to say to you, if I were to say to you, it's, it's determined, it's determined that those that go to the car Are going to get wet now I didn't determine who's going out to get their car that wasn't the statement right what's been what's been ordained what's been determined is that if you choose to go outside to get your car right now you are going to get wet it's been determined that people that walk outside in the rain are going to get wet the discussion is not who's going out to get the car The discussion is that that those people that go to get their car are going to get wet. Why? Because it's raining outside. Now, we look back at this verse and you should see it a little more clear. The discussion is not who believes. The discussion is that anyone that believes, it's been already determined by the Lord, predetermined, preordained by God, that anyone who believes has eternal life. Okay? That is the simple, clearest answer taken right from the word of god i didn't have to i didn't have to scroll through any other books i didn't have to say well pastor so-and-so said this i didn't have to look at a bunch of commentaries all i had to do is look at with the bible and let the bible answer itself okay church just use the bible to answer itself just use context all right and and for someone to take that and say no 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 that that's a different way and that's because they're not looking at the verse for what it says for what it really says they're they're trying to push their doctrine into a verse all right this way it fits. This way we understand it. Yes, God knows who it was, but God doesn't call. Uh, I, I believe, Pastor, do you believe that God has predestined us? Well, take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. I want a bunch of verses here. I want to just nail this in the coffin since we're on it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and having places. This is the verse that is commonly used by Calvinist, But let's look at it. What does it say? Verse four, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Okay, church, look at that verse. Look at verse four. According as he hath chosen us, who in him? Those of us who that are in him. Okay, we're, we're in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. He, he, he's not chosen us. The verse does not say He chose us to be in Him. He's choosing us that are already in Him. Praise God. To do what? Does the verse say to be saved? The verse does not say to be saved. The verse is about our Christian service. God said this before the foundation of the earth. Those of you that choose to believe... I have chosen a plan, a path, a predestined plan for your life. If you choose to go outside, you will get wet in the rain. Okay, You you don't have to go outside. But if you choose to, I've already predetermined that people that go outside in the rain are going to get wet. That's all he's saying here. Whenever you see the word elect or predestined in the scriptures, remember this, it refers always to service. It never once refers to salvation. It doesn't. God's plan for a believer is that they ought to serve him. And God, before the foundation of the world, said, guess what? You became a Christian, I got a plan for your life. I do. Aren't you glad that God's got a plan for your life? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Let me give you an example here on this. My son, Cole, is going on a Philippines trip, a mission trip to the Philippines. Now, just get it. The trip's paid for. All the arrangements are made. My son, Cole, does not have to go to the Philippines. He really doesn't. If Cole, my son, Cole, chooses on his own free will to get on the airplane. Everything is now predetermined for him. There's still free will, but, but the airplane pilot knows that the plane is going to be flying at 33,000 square, uh, feet, right? It's going to be doing 700 miles an hour. It's going to land in Taipei, Taiwan, and, and the hotel is planned. The meals are planned. The, 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 the schedule's planned. The return trip's planned. Everything's laid out for him. I, I've already planned this out for you. You know, you know, I've got a plan for your trip to the Philippines. All you have to do is what? Get on the airplane. All right? Once you get on the airplane, I have a plan for your life. I, I've, I've already thought through this. I've figured it out here. And, and yes, you still have a free will. Yes, but I, I, I got a plan for you. And my plan for you is that you're going to go to the Philippines and you're going to minister there for 20 days and, and you're going to be going to all these public schools. You're going to be teaching the gospel. And you're going to teach about creation to all these people. That's the plan I have for you, okay? You may not want it. You may not do good at it. You may stumble along the way. But sure enough, i got a plan for you when you go on the mission trip. But it's your choice. It's your choice if you get on the airplane or not. Okay, The Christian life is the same way. God says, listen, you, you, can, choose to get, you can choose to become a Christian. That'd, that'd be great. I'd love it. it My desire is for all men to become a Christian. That's wonderful. And the moment you become a Christian, I just want to let you know before the foundation of the earth, I've got a plan for your life. i, I got something big for you to do. i got something awesome for you to do. He never talks about being saved. He said, i just got a plan for you to serve me. But, but here in this context, he's saying, listen. He's saying, the Jews rejected it, and, and I don't want this. I've counted myself unworthy. I don't want this. Why? Because I've rejected this. Okay? But God says, no. Those that believe, I have got a plan, and the plan is that they're going to have everlasting life. 1 Peter 1, verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Okay, pause there. The word there is foreknowledge. It is not foreknown according to the election of God. Okay? God knows, but God does not cause. It does not say God caused it, it say God knows it. <laughs> that would be the Calvinist reading of it if you were to say foreknown according to the election of God. There are uh, those people that choose to get on the airplane. God happens to know who's going to get on the airplane, and God has a plan for their life, but not everyone gets on the airplane okay just because god knows doesn't mean that god causes it church let me just say this if calvinism was true think if calvinism was true there would never really ever be a problem in the local church because we'd all be persevering together we'd all be like always in perfect unity with god and you know what there wouldn't be church splits there wouldn't be church problems people wouldn't leave the church why because we'd all, be, we'd all be persevering to the end. We'd, we'd, all be, we'd all be on that same page. So if Calvinism was true, there wouldn't be, ever be problems in the church. The churches would be packed full of people. You would, you would never leave a church and stop going to church, right? Of course not. Of course not. Acts chapter 13, verse 49. Let's finish this up. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. So they spoke it out by mouth, they spread the word, they published it out. Verse 50. But the Jews stirred up devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Yeah, you think? And expelled them out of their coast. So they get together and say, you guys get out of here, verse 51. But they shook off the dust off their feet against them and came unto Iconium, verse 52. And the disciples, so what just happened? They just got kicked out of town. The government said, you, out of here. Verse 52. And the disciples were filled with Sadness and crying and and weeping. And they went on Facebook and they complained and they texted all their friends and woe is me. And they left the church and they stopped reading their Bible. Is that what it says? No. Church, read verse 52 with me out loud. Here we go. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They were busy serving the Lord and the result of serving the Lord was persecution. And the result of the persecution church Three-letter word starts with the letter J. was what? Say it again one more time. Joy. You're going to serve the Lord. You are going to have persecution. There's going to be conflict. And the result of that ought to be joy in our life. Luke chapter 6. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you and cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice you in the day and leap for joy, Behold, your reward is great in heaven for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. People are going to hate you because you're a Christian. You're going to be persecuted because you're a Christian. And God said, listen, you better have your response. better be an attitude of joy. He says you better leap for joy. That's what a response should be. Why? Because you're in good company. You're with the prophets. You're with the other disciples. You're with the other apostles. And if God's ever called you to do something big in your life, just be ready because there's going to be spiritual warfare. You are going to get persecuted, okay? So, those of you that maybe, maybe you come on Friday nights, you know, I don't know, or maybe some of you are looking to, to grow in an area in your life and there's a change coming up in your life and you're going to do something big for Jesus. Just get ready. When, when you do something big for Jesus, there is going to be conflict. There is going to be persecution. Guess where the first place is going to come from, according to Jesus? Your family is going to be the first place that you're going to get resistance. You want to do something big for Jesus... And you're going to get kickback, you're going to get resistance, you're going to get persecution from your family first. Maybe some of you said, boy, someday I'd like to have my kids in a Christian school. Great, that's wonderful. Get ready because the moment you decide to have a conviction to do something awesome with your children like that, that will change the course of their history forever, you get ready because the devil knows. And he's going to say, okay, all right. All right. The war is on. Get ready for, for, for spiritual warfare. You get ready and you say with your finances, well, I'm going to be serious about my finances and I'm going to become someone that ties my, my income. I'm going to become a 10% giver. Well, just get ready because as soon as you say that, the devil says, okay, okay. I know who my enemy is now. I, I know who I'm fighting now. Anytime you decide to do something big for Jesus... Mom and dads, boys and girls, seniors in the room, get ready because there is going to be persecution. Okay, It, just, it, it has to happen. Parents, let me just give you some free advice on this. Listen, don't, don't let your kids walk the line in their Christian life, okay? Parents, have, have a goal to do something big with your kids for Jesus, okay? You, parents, now I, I'm even talking to parents with little babies, okay, little kids, you have a goal, you have a desire, you have an expectation for your kids to do big things for Jesus. Don't let your your kids live on a life that they're standing on the line between what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And whoa, whoa, I'm over here this weekend, but I'm going back to church tomorrow. (sighs) Parents, don't do that with your kids. You will ruin them, and you'll come back crying to me when they're in their 20s, because they've wasted their life already and made huge decisions that have cost them a lot, why didn't the church help? Well, the church helped. You blew it. (laughs) Don't blame the church. Parents, have expectations for your kids to do something big for Christ. Have expectations for your kids that, 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 that God has a plan for your life. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it's big, and I want God to do something big through your life and do whatever it takes to help them see the big plan that God has for their life. Get them involved in mission work. Get them involved in your local church. Teach them how to be generous with their finances. Have them hang around uh, uh, Christian kids that are a good influence. Don't, don't have them watch the, the garbage on television. Don't have them listen to the garbage of the world. Don't do that. Have a plan that I want you to be everything that Jesus wants you to be. He said he has a plan for your life. I don't know what it is, but I want to prepare you for being doing something big. For whatever God has, I want you to be ready instead of maybe making a decision when they're young that could severely limit their availability for Jesus you know what I'm talking about living a life of regret I could have would have should have why didn't I this has handicapped my decisions for what I'm going to do for Christ parents you got one shot to raise your kids you better not blow it you well kids in Christian schools don't always turn out right you're absolutely right but it sure gives them a whole lot better chance that's all that's all it's about man it's just let's just give our kids every chance i I'm optimistic about the kids in our Christian school. I'm just telling you. I'm optimistic about the kids in this church. I hope God sends every single one of our kids to the mission field. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be great. Pastor, who would take your job? If, if everyone went to the mission field, who would take your job? Who cares? Right? <laughs> God will take care of that, all right? God will take care of that. I'd, I'd love it if every single kid in our church became become a pastor or a pastor's wife. I think that'd be awesome. That's what we're doing here at Dayspring, right? Praise God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what's to say? Whosoever believes, not gives money, not goes to church, not gets baptized, whosoever believes has everlasting life. I'm thankful for that verse in the Bible. John chapter three, verse 16. That's a verse we ought to memorize, right? God so loved us that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When you stop believing in what you do and fully trust in what Christ has done on the cross, That alone is the gift of salvation, right there in a nutshell. All right, church, let's close with a word of prayer. Let's be done today. Father, we're thankful for our study in the Word today. We're thankful that you taught us here from the Scriptures. We're thankful for Paul waxing bold and Barnabas, and they stood up and preached the truth. Father, when we do something like that, we are going to experience persecution. Help us not to quit every single one in this room, myself included, help us not to quit. Help us to be aware that when we do something big for Jesus, there's going to be spiritual warfare, there's going to be kickback, there's going to be resistance from family and friends. But Lord, we're still going to do what's right because it's the right thing to do. Help us to raise our children to love you. And we're still going to do what's right, not because it's popular, Not because it's what everyone else is doing, but just because it's the right thing to do. May every child in this church end up in full-time ministry. That would be a blessing and mission accomplished of Dayspring Baptist Church. We pray all these things in your name we ask. Amen. Amen.